to another episode of the Front Porch Podcast. Here we are, reporting live from the end times. Uh, and I am Paul, your your host as usual, working not at the Front Porch right now, uh, but from home. And today we are joined by legendary Front Porch alumni, Eric Stafford. Eric, how are you doing on this uh on this afternoon oh i'm doing pretty good paul just you know again end times just making our way through this just trying to uh trying to make it day by day by day which we've been doing for almost a year now <laughs> yeah yeah and how uh what what was your what was your connection to front porch back in the day yeah you graduated yeah almost three years ago now right or two years ago uh two years ago actually so i, I graduated december of 18 um my connection with Front Porch was uh, about end of my freshman year, uh, 2015. Um, I started going to Front Porch, hid in the corners, drank a ton of coffee, probably more than I definitely should have, and tried to be a little engineering student. Um, and then throughout the years, just got more and more involved with Front Porch. Uh, started coming to events, started volunteering. Eventually, I was lucky enough my fourth year to live in the front porch house and yeah, just as just trying to keep in contact with everyone, trying to keep, uh, you know, up with what you guys are doing and really enjoying the work you guys are doing and glad I could uh, be a part of this. Nice. Yeah. I remember a, a story you would tell about your first experiences with front porches. You sat in a corner for what, like seven or eight hours at once, drank like six cups of coffee and covered what an entire quarter of Ochem for the final the next day or something like that yeah it, it was i think it was a 4 p.m final i got to front porch at seven in the morning drank about eight cups of coffee <laughs> and somehow squeaked out a b in that and not on that final and i taught myself the entire quarter of chemistry so dang you know that's a uh, front, front front porch holds a uh you know deep place in my heart for that apparently that's funny. and uh ca- ca- caffeine addiction <laughs> And what are you? Uh, what are you up to now? Post in your post grad life, out in the in the real world. Yes, in the real world. Um, so I work for a medical device company. Um, I am actually in procedures with cardiologists. My specialty is to run a computer system that allows them to visualize the inside of a patient's heart during um, kind of a minimally invasive surgery. We can kind of also look at how that patient's heart is beating irregularly, uh, target areas for curative therapy, and can go about and hopefully make the uh, patient's life a little bit easier moving forward. Right now, though, with COVID times, a lot of hospitals are you know su- suspending elective procedures, so you know it's a lot of here and there. Uh, you know, not as regular as it used to be, but you know, trying to make make our way as best we can. Yeah, what have you uh what have you found to fill the time to continue to I don't know, give yourself some purpose and meaning. Yeah, that's actually a big thing I've been working on is uh personally uh I've been working on this a lot but just kind of uh, you know, separating my quote-unquote productivity which for a long time when I was in school getting an engineering degree, then starting work was always tied to getting things done, either like, you know, getting tasks done off of a, um, 
off of a to-do sheet or, you know, hitting certain quotas within work. Now it's a lot of spending time introspectively. You and I were talking a little bit before this of, I think I've read probably about 12 books since the beginning of quarantine, kind of making my way through a lot of books I don't necessarily agree with, but that are very thought provoking and bringing up different kind of ideas. And I've been walking a lot. Um, uh, that was the thing I started was just, you know, every morning going and going for a walk, if I don't have work to at least just get out, do something for myself, try to either get in or out of my head as much as I can. But, you know, just, you know, trying to, trying to, it, the biggest thing too, is also being purposeful with people like people I met through front porch, like one of my closest friends, my roommate at the front porch house, he and I have been become even more close because of this. My roommate and I getting closer, closer with my family and stuff like that. Just trying to really be purposeful within that. But then also, you know, trying to drive off the deep existential dread that we're all going to die and nothing matters. <laughs> so, you know. Dang. Yeah, for uh, for sure. The, this the series of, of interviews that we've been in the midst of, I just sort of ask the the question, what what do you consider yourself an expert on? And this question it seemed like for you caused some uh caused some trouble you're like i don't think i am an expert in anything because what what was it you said if i were to say i was an expert in something that would um it it, it was i think it was along the lines of if i say i'm an expert in something it would kind of give me you know a false sense of authority of saying like okay cool i'm done i don't need to keep learning i don't need to keep working on it anymore where like if I'm like, oh, I'm an expert in this, then it's like, okay, cool, I'm done. I, I've i completed it, I've checked it off my list, and it's a title, everything like that. Whereas I'm kind of, I, I try to be the person that goes, oh, yeah, no, like I have no idea, I'm, I'm an idiot, I don't know where, not to diminish myself or give myself, myself like a sense of greater purpose or anything, it's just more of the no- I just want to keep learning what whatever it is I'm doing. I want to keep learning, keep striving, keep challenging myself type thing. So to your answer, I think, or your question, I think we kind of narrowed it down of for whatever it is. I'm an expert in saying, I don't know <laughs> that, that to me, to me, that's just a very kind of core thing to me of just like, yep, I, I'm totally fine with saying, I don't know, but I'm going to find out. Yeah. And then to me, that opens more doors later down. So what have you found yourself saying, I don't know, too, that have sort of led to the most, um, not productive in the sense of generating something in the world, but productive in the sense that, like, it's taking you somewhere that you you have enjoyed where it's taken you. What have those, those I don't knows been this year? Yeah. Um, I would guess, you know... I think everyone has this realization and, you know, people always joke about it. And I know, you know, I've only been in my career for two years and that's not any time, but like being an adult, I have no idea what that's supposed to be like. And I don't think any person who has lived an adult life knows what an adult life is. <laughs> but like, as a, I don't know about, I don't know if you felt this, but like as kind of a kid, we were always looked up. We always looked to, to people who just kind of like, you know, seemed like they knew what they were doing. Like, I don't know about you, but like my parents just exuded that kind of confidence of just like, oh yeah, this is, and now I'm just realizing like, oh my God, they were just flying by the seat of their pants. They have no idea what's going on. And oh, that's yeah. totally fine. And it's more of that just kind of like 
not like controlled destruction, but just like controlled chaos of like, you know, nothing in life is ever, you know, super certain. Nothing is ever, yeah, nothing's stable really. And I think definitely the past almost 12 months have definitely showed us that, that what we consider to be for granted things are really just arbitrary. And so that's a big thing I've, I've learned. And then also like, you know, just trying to expand like kind of my outlook on certain things within different realms of spirituality, uh, you know, going to porch, I always made the joke that I was the quote unquote resident atheist of front porch. (laughs) Um, uh, the, when I said in the beginning that like uh, I would like hide in the corner and stuff like that, it was because I literally thought like Joel and the internet at the time, Carolyn, were going to kick me out <laughs> type thing. Um, and if anyone knows Joel and or Carolyn, they should be laughing hysterically at that. And Joel loves telling that story all the time. Um, but definitely within like my time at Front Porch and definitely since, and I've kind of had to make my own way in the world just like learning that ideology and ideas that I had so much certainty in of like, Oh yeah, this is it. This is it. This is it. And now just kind of like challenging myself, opening it to new experiences, just going like, Oh yeah, I have no idea what I believe Hmm. anymore. And it's, and I'm not, and it's not from a like, Oh, I've like lost my faith or anything, but it's from that, that kind of that idea of like, Oh, I don't have to be beholden to strict things of like, I need to believe X, Y, and Z. It's more of like, all right, I'm just going to kind of try, try out different clothes on, see what, see what fits, see what doesn't, if it doesn't fit. All right, cool. It goes on my bookshelf and fantastic. I learned something new. I can have a good conversation with someone who does believe that, but yeah. And there are certain things where I'm like, Oh, I'm going to wear this jacket for a while. See how this one feels. Yeah. What are those, uh, what are those articles that have stayed on longer? Yeah. Um, really kind of, a big thing for me has been well one that idea of uncertainty just being comfortable in uncertainty but two like it, just saying i don't know it's it's fine to not know cuz i'm always a, i've always been a big fan of you know this idea of optimistic nihilism of like mm-hmm. nothing matters nothing matters therefore we get to like determine what matters mm-hmm. um but um just kind of like you know, rather than throwing up your hands and saying, ah, it doesn't matter. Oh no. It's going like, no, like, like it's all about just kind of like focusing your intention on nothing matters. Therefore you get to determine what matters. Um, one thing, I think you and I have talked about this a little bit, but within the book I'm, I'm that you recommended to me, the Orthodox heretic by Peter Rollins, one of the uh, parables of it is, um, a pre a traveling preacher has like the ability of whenever he prays for someone, he causes them to lose their faith. And he meets like a rich banker on the road who is like a devout Christian. And he's like, Oh yes. Like I don't really want to be a devout banker. I, that's not really who I am. It's a person. I'm a Christian. I go to, I do all this stuff. I'm a Bible study. Yeah. Yeah. And the uh, preacher prays for him and um, loses his faith, realizes that what he's doing is immoral, gives up his job, gives up all his money, lives to dismantle the structure that he's worked in, meets the preacher, collapses on his feet and going, th- basically says like, thank you for showing me my true faith type thing. Where it's that idea of like, 
you can be so set in your ways. And the second the rug is just pulled underneath you, you realize, oh my God, I'm like, what I've kind of thought has just been kind of wool over my eyes. But then you actually achieve, in my mind, like kind of the intention of what you've been trying to work for type thing where it's like, oh, like I believe greatly in the idea of humanism, but then like getting stuck behind, you know, growing up as an a-religious person, the rhetoric of atheist, a-religious people being kind of these cynical assholes basically (laughs) now going like, oh, like actually I'm going to agree more with spiritual people and realizing that my humanism comes out more in like-mindedness with Christian people rather than atheist people. Hmm. If n- and, and I don't even know if that even makes sense, but that's kind of where I've been kind of rolling lately. And then another one too that has been really um, interesting to me was the um, great misfortune parable also within that of um, that idea of this man is literally going through unbelievable hardships, losing everyone in his family and the only person kind of surrounding him is this blacksmith in town who, you know, gives everyone a shoulder to cry on, basically, and kind of befriends this man. And after, like, the death of his final son, he finally goes to a preacher and he's like, well, you know, to get through hard, like, to get to benefit, you have to go through hardship. It's This is all, you know, for this. And But what really mattered to him was the fact that the blacksmith then came over that night and basically was like, well, that's true. You're going to need me more than ever. And just sat with him throughout the night, just drinking and talking type thing. And I don't know, like for me that spoke more, I think the thing I wrote in the margin at the very end of that was front porch and this, (laughs) but um, yeah. So a book like that, where again, not everything I'm reading in that I necessarily agree with, but having a lot of those kind of challenge my preconceptions of, you know, certain religious faiths that I didn't grow up with. And also, you know, trying it on being like, okay, I like this jacket a little bit, or, you know, well, you know, this underwear is way too tight. I'm not going to wear this one. What, what you mentioned about being an adult, I think is something that has come up several times over the last couple months in different conversations. We did an episode with uh, Ryan and Sarah, who we talked Mm -hmm. a little bit about like, the real world and like the sort of safety net of a um, post-grad career outcomes pie chart where it's like you are looking at your program um, on your undergrad and you're like, okay, like what do we do? Like, what do I do after this? And you like look at the pie chart and you're like, okay, like these are all the things that the people have done. It's like, this kind of gives me like some sense of peace of mind. Like, Oh, like my degree is not for not like, I'm going to enter the world and I'm going to be able to do like one of these things. And they were both like, Mm -hmm. there are other things you can do. Like you are not limited to the, uh, the wedges of the pie chart. Um, and the same on the same vein in a conversation with Ben and Danielle, we also talked about like, what is this hard line that we like make up between undergrad or college or I don't know, youth, and the real world like what's this sort of there's no inherent structural difference between these two things like you're living before and you're living after but i think we the conclusion we came to is much of the line between like what's not the real world and what is the real world is like some element of struggle because somebody who's going through like community college and then they've gone on to undergrad and all these things and 
I met this one fellow who was commuting from Tijuana to a community college in San Diego for like two or three years with a three hour commute to get over the border every day that he was going to school. And then now is for the first time living in America has come to Cal Poly as a transfer student. It's like his life through his education is I would not describe as not the real world. And I think it's like some element of like the unknown and struggle that like creates this barrier between like what's not the real world and what is the real world for a lot of people between their education and their, their post-grad life. I, I, I would say yes. The, I agree with the semblance of struggle, but I'd, I'd expand on that a little bit in a minute. But I think the biggest difference that I've noticed is not necessarily struggle, it's structure. Hmm. It's when, at least in the American education system, you start going to school, you have a regimented you know, day plan. At least for me growing up, um, all my teachers would write in ch- on the chalkboard like the schedule for the day. And it was like, okay, you're going to go to first and then second and third, fourth, fifth. Like You, you have all these numbers. Uh, when I was playing sports in high school, it was you had the different levels. And then when you went to college, it was you know, growing up in very middle-class white suburbia, it was not, if I'm going to go to college, where I go to college. And it was once I got into college, okay, what program am I going to do? Okay. And then in engineering, and they had this all at Cal Poly, but at least in my engineering program, it was also very much, you had to take this class in order to take this class in order to take this class in order to take this class. And it was a flow chart pretty much. And you had little branches that you could take off of like, oh, you want to take this elective. Oh, you want to take this GE. You want to do this concentration. You can kind of do a little flow in the flow chart. And the biggest thing I've noticed is it was, okay, um, on December 14th, 2018, once I got, got technically graduated and I had two months until I started work, I had no plan. I was very lucky enough to go traveling during that time with another friend from Front Porch. And then once I started work, it was, okay, cool, start working. <laughs> and for my work, luckily we had kind of a structured like training thing, but it was one week every other month, I think. And so, but it was other than that, it was okay, cool. Get into for us, it was get into hospitals, get into cases, see procedures, do all this stuff, study on your own. Like you have to be able to like okay, like you have to be able to understand these concepts. And it wasn't a okay, here's like a workbook, here's a worksheet that you can work through. It was okay, here's a textbook. Um, you can go on the internet, find videos, but it's really up to you how much research and studying you want to do for the case that you're going to see tomorrow and talking to people after and all that stuff. And for me, and I've noticed that, and then it's like, okay, you got to figure out how to pay bills. You have to figure out how to build a credit score, which is a thing you need in the real world that apparently (laughs) not a lot of people know about, but it's like this, you need to pay rent, but then it's also, you need to be, and this was another big thing at like front porch. And it was, you had, I felt like I had structured time to be present with people. It was, oh, I have two hours between my classes. This is a block of time. I'm going to go to front porch. I have X number of work I need to do to like, you know, stay in school. But it was also, hey, I have this time to be present with other people or like Wednesday nights and being an adult. Now I feel like it's, you have to be so much more self sufficient self-reliant on that presence type thing, which is, I think, I think feel like that was a big transition for me was 
going from no structure from rigid structure of the American education system to the American work system, which is self-sufficiency, go figure it out yourself type thing. And, you know, just do your work type thing and struggle. And I, what you, your friend that is doing that has had that past and now is studying Cal Poly, that is unbelievable. I will never go through anything remotely that hard in my entire life. And I would say (laughs) me neither, but you know, there are certain things in college and compared now in real life where it's like, okay, well I need to get a therapist because I, yeah, there's this shit that I have to deal with in my life. Sorry, I can't know if I curse. I cursed all the time at Front Porch. It doesn't matter. I don't care. Um, <laughs> but um, no, just kind of like going like, okay, well, I can't just kind of run away from these problems anymore. I need to get actual help for this or I'm going to do this. And not saying that like I've gone through any insurmountable struggle in my life. It's just things, my brain has just got a different brain chemistry I guess, and certain things and having to deal with that. But then it's also you meet people who have gone through so much more struggle in their life and it's not necessarily to diminish yourself. Mm -hmm. Like I I feel like it's super negative to say, Oh, that person went through so much more in their life. Therefore I can't complain about anything. No, it's, I was, you know, complaining to this about one of my friends from work the other day who I went through training with. And I was just like, in my head, it's all of these things. It's, you know, all of these, um, kind of constructs I'm building in my head. And I was like, yeah, but it's just in my head. It doesn't really matter. And she was like, well, in your head is your reality. Hmm. So when you are becoming an adult, as I'm still attempting to, (laughs) whatever you're going through is what you're going through, whether or not it's harder or worse than anyone else's struggle that they're going through. It's the struggle you're going through type thing. And the, and the biggest thing for me, I also had to realize was right when I got out of, when I started working, I was living by myself. Just, I couldn't find a roommate. I sucked it up, paid a little bit more money. Luckily now I have a roommate because quarantine living by yourself, not fun. Um, when you, when you don't talk all day, it's really not, not a fun time. I bet. The number of options as far as like the people, the person that you can be after all the sort of like made up structures as far as a degree flow chart or <laughs> a given order of educational grades or all those things. Like it's not a very... Um, meaningful like identity characteristic and so after those fall away it is a it's an interesting terrain to find oneself on to like sort sort out the kind of person you are amidst a very um a very open field of possibilities yeah and and i don't necessarily feel like it's necessarily an inherently a bad thing to be having those thoughts while you are in the midst of that system totally because as much as we love to complain about it we are people who grew up and went through or are currently going through the american education system Mm -hmm. and it's like um i've i talked to ryan about this (laughs) we were talking about uh one of his things that he was talking about for his uh doctoral thesis and we were talking and he was going we were talking about something we were 
complaining about some form of capitalism, which we usually do, <laughs> and everything. And I just kind of had that real, and I said to him, I was just like, well, I mean, yeah, as we can complain about all we want, but that's the system we got right now. So we got to kind of make it work type thing is as much as we love to complain as much as American students love to complain about the American education system. (laughs) That's the system that we got right now. Yeah. And, but, and so, and so you can't, and I, I had to look back at this when I was still for a long time and still for a long time, like the closest people that I was still in touch with, from Cal Poly were, you know, people I played Dungeons and Dragons with because I'm a nerd. Um, and they were just kind of, they were complaining about school and everything. And I wanted to just go to them of like, guys, like, that's so unimportant. Like, that's so, like, that's not what you need to focus on. Like, there's so much more important thing. Or like, that's so trivial. But I'm also like, that is their perspective. That is, to them, that is their reality. And it's not like they don't know any different, re- it's not that the reality's wrong. It's just that's their reality that they're experiencing. I'm just happen to be experiencing a different reality. Yeah, I'm not necessarily Neo who sees the Matrix code for what it is. Oh, these poor idiots! They how do they not know what the real world is? It's that thing of like, wow, I'm just on the other side, and they will get there too. And I kind of saw it as one of those things of like, wow, like it's very interesting to have that kind of shift that that is a struggle in of itself is having to realize like oh crap the world is totally different than what i thought it was going to be and having to adapt to that yeah yeah you mentioned something about um just the various systems we find ourselves in and i'm curious for your own um for your own sanity how do you square your own position in working for a pharmaceutical company mm-hmm. in the midst of like sort of negotiating the the perils of capitalism particularly now watching how those two sort of things play out in a situation like a like a pandemic yeah yeah i mean it is interesting because yeah i do work for a big pharma company. Um, I'll keep them <laughs> anonymous for right now because I because guess what? I really enjoy having a paycheck and enjoy paying rent. Oh yeah. Um, as of right now, but um, no. It, the whole reason I got I got my degree in biomedical engineering at Cal Poly because when I was fourteen years old, I tore. Uh, my knee playing football and my surgeon was probably the greatest influence on my life. And he was just like, he totally took me under his wing, explained everything to me. Hmm. And he was like, so do you want to become a doctor? I'm like, hell no, I do not want to become a doctor. That sounds horrible. He's like, all right, well, you know, in my, my entire family is engineers. And he was like, well, be the person who designs this because the person who designed this helped you walk again. Hmm. And that's how I kind of framed me going and getting my degree and going through college was that idea that I'm going to, I want to use the privilege that I got and the amazing education that I got to make someone's else, else else's life suck a little bit less yeah. type thing. Um, and yeah, it, it, it is hard to be working for the pharmaceutical complex right now just mentally, but I try to frame it as that's 
a company. I am a person who is going into a procedure room and I know my intentions and I know, and for me, I go, I'm working with a physician. I am working with my personal intention of, I want to help this patient. And to me, it's me doing it using the company's device or using the company's computer system. It's not necessarily the company doing it for a problem. Yes, obviously the company makes a profit while doing all of this, but that's how I'm just kind of distancing my, how I'm distancing myself from it is if it might not be the right way, I don't think there is a right way, <laughs> Yeah. but I, I know my personal intention. I know why I got, why I chose to have this job is because I get to leave the hospital when I'm able to <laughs> perform a case and basically say like, oh yeah, no, like that was, that is, that made the past several years worth it today to basically just say like, yeah, that person is just going to feel better. That person is going to live a happier, healthier life. That person is going to be around a little bit longer to spend time with their grandkids or their kids. Hmm. That person is going to, you know, be able to, you know, if we work with a pediatric, it's like that person, that kid's going to be able to play sports and fall in love and go to college and go contribute to society in their own way type thing. Yeah. And that, and, and those are usually the fluff stories that the big pharma companies usually use in their ad campaigns. But (laughs) to me, that's, uh, yeah, but that's, that's really how, that's really how I see it. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. That's been something that I have been thinking a lot about for my for myself especially in a a context like Cal Poly that very much sees themselves as like preparing p- young people for industry um and people often entering industries that maybe personally they they wouldn't be so like you know stoked on like I don't know there's definitely some people I'm sure out there that are running around saying like, I love big pharma. Like this is awesome. Like, oh, yeah, I really love how they solve, you know, all the problems and how affordable the insulin is and like things like that. Um, yeah. And, and, and I, I guess I would just kind of like go, it's like, you know, this is the, I don't necessarily agree with this, but I know a thing I've heard from a lot of people where it's like, Oh, if you don't have a big corporation like this with the idea of capitalism, how would you advance technology? And, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily fully believe in that, but that is, you know, I would just kind of play devil's advocate a little bit right there that that's what some people do say. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I've heard that from a, a, a friend of mine who is also in the, in the medical field. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, somebody, I don't necessarily agree with it. <laughs> somebody, yeah, that people still have their own, their own values that they're squaring with. And I mean, this is in, we did an episode on this on the influence of the defense industry in um, mm. Cal Poly's engineering program. It's like, you know, not all of these people are like super, like they love missiles. Like, oh my God, I just like love <laughs> missiles. Like, no. But I mean, they received like a certain education at a certain institution. And it's like, yeah, like how do you go into the world and like square square whatever values you have i mean maybe they're from maybe they come from a a religious background maybe they just come from a sort of general um personal ethic but yeah it's these are especially at cal poly that sees the institution sees itself whatever that might mean as a place of 
producing young people for for industry i think one thing that yeah. the school doesn't maybe consider is like a little bit of like values work or engineering ethics or things like that yeah that th- that was a big thing um that i noticed at least in the the college of engineering was Cal Poly is one of the few schools, in general, Cal Poly is one of the few schools that forces you to declare your major when you're 17 or 18 years old and makes it almost impossible for you to change it. Hmm. And yes, and what we heard all the time, and I feel like this is, every university has a different spin on it. Um, Within the engineering program that I was in, it was very much the conversation that your professor would have was, when you are in industry, this will become applicable or like you will, this is how you will think there are obviously very uh, different schools, not Cal States and not polytechnic universities that go when you are in management, this is what you, this is what you'll be using type thing. So I feel in, I, that is in my mind, a, a purpose of a purpose, not the purpose, a purpose of higher education is to prepare people for the quote unquote real world of, Hey, you more than likely will be working in some sort of industry, whether that's technical, whether that's, you know, interpersonal type thing. But it's like you are you are getting this degree to learn certain skills to help you do things in that industry. Yeah. And within Cal yeah, and within Cal Poly, there's very much a focus because of the type of school it is to be more of you are going to be a worker. Like you are going to be the engineer, you are going to be, you know, doing these big projects. And that is all great. And that's, you know, for me, that does help of like, I learned things in there that do help me in my job, but I don't necessarily use a quarter of fluid dynamics every single day in my life or a quarter of thermodynamics (laughs) or a quarter of mechanical design theory. A big thing I learned was work ethic too of just kind of like okay like as crappy as it is like part of your part of working in industry and and contributing to you know quote-unquote society or your company's profit margin is being able to complete tasks that you're given and work towards a goal Mm -hmm. and that is what i learned a lot of and that's another thing what i mentioned about cal poly where it's like I've always had that criticism of they force you to pick your major when you're 17 or 18, make it almost impossible to change. And I, it is hard in personally to meet someone who is past 30 or 35, who is still doing the exact thing that they got their degree in. There are people. Yeah. It's just for me, it's, it's more rare to find someone of like, Oh yeah. Like, I got my degree and this is still the same job I had right when I got out of college doing exactly what I got my degree in. Yeah. It's more of like you got your degree to get out into the world, to have people trust you that like, oh, this person knows how to critically think. This person knows how to kind of tr- contribute as a team type thing. And it's not necessarily like, oh, like you took this class, therefore you know how to do this. It's, hey, like you understand the value of work. You understand the value of kind of committing yourself to an overall project whether or not and seeing it through type thing yeah yeah that 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 to me is like the idea of completing a four-year degree is you committed to something for four years whether or not you wanted to complete it or not you completed it yeah 
Yeah, my religious studies professor at Cal Poly, that was what he said. He's like, you know, the one thing, there's one thing, only one, that a college education tells you about a person is it's that they're able to do something for four years and finish it. Yep. That's pretty funny. On your your note on um, Cal Poly training, training their students to be workers, I think... I think it would be interesting. This is my little suggestion that they will never hear, but, you know, it's for us. Um, <laughs> hey, can you yell into the void as loud as you want? Exactly. Yep. That's uh, that is, uh, that's what a podcast is all about, you know. Um, right? I think it would be interesting, you know, to really take the, we're training you to be workers seriously. Perhaps they should put in the GE requirements a mandatory class on how to unionize in your workplace. I think that would be very interesting. Mm. That would be very interesting. Yeah. And, and, and that's the thing too, that I noticed because my last year was the, um, the blackface incident, um, mm. which as a begrudgingly member of Greek life discussed me beyond anything I can really announce to the world. <laughs> um, but the, the, what, one thing that did stand out to me was the, Dean, the dean of or the um, uh, the head of the College of Engineering. Mm-hmm. I can't. I, I'm. I have the email on my computer still because I thought it was super important. But it was. She made the comment of basically like we thought in we as faculty and you as students probably thought that oh we don't have to worry about this because we're engineers mm-hmm. because we're you know the nerds we don't care about social issues we don't do any of the stuff and it's like and we've gotten away with that for so long without committing to it. we you came in here to get an education to go and working and you were like cool awesome and we were like cool awesome that's how we're going to get you out of here and it's like and i it was again my last year i don't know if anything has been done but just kind of like being more conscious because as an engineer in getting an edu- engineering degree there are large swaths of American society that or in the world society that engineers do impact. Yeah. And it'd be very interesting to hopefully see that a school like Cal Poly may did make a shift in their curriculum, especially for engineers to be more conscious of our role in the greater world as engineers, not just the nerds who do all the calculations and make the cool images on our computers and do the cool stress test with Greek letters that no one, uh, no one really understands um, <laughs> that we're actually contributing society as a whole. And we're, we're doing that more than taking our obligatory GE classes Yeah. Um, within that because, and I think that I got lucky within biomedical engineering that there was an emphasis on, you know, what you are, what you guys will be doing will be affecting other human beings. Mm-hmm. So it's that, that has some intention behind it, but you know, because it'll be to, in them. To purposely, exactly, <laughs> or be on them, or be tangential to them. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like I, yeah, and and actually to offend every ee I know, <laughs> not necessarily, not necessarily the same thing, but it's uh, it but it, it is important because you know even if you're a civil engineer building a bridge, people are walking over that bridge. Mm-hmm. Even if you're a mechanical engineer, again to. If you are happening to working in the defense industry, it's like 
that is very, that's a very human centric industry that, you know, things should definitely be discussed like that. Yeah. There's a, there's a paper written by a fellow who was born in Cal Poly, born and raised, or not at Cal Poly, born and raised in San Luis Obispo. And then I think he went on, I don't know where he went to school. Now he's a, he's a professor at Rensselaer Polytechnic in New York. Um, Okay. And he wrote a paper in the 80s called Do Artifacts Have Politics? And it was about exactly what you're saying, like in engineers' decisions, in within these decisions are incorporated certain sorts of social structures that um, affirm or negate whether it's human freedom or certain structures of surveillance or political um, and bureaucratic structures as far as what sort of maintenance is required to um, like perpetuate a system. Like when you talk about energy supply, what sorts of Mm -hmm. energy does a a government or a country invest in towards towards its future? Those decisions and those forms of energy, whether it's nuclear or solar or wind or something like that, that will um, incorporate certain politics into those into those decisions. And I mean, there's a whole field of study, but that one paper, I think even just like the name of it, Do Artifacts Have Politics, just captures captures what you're saying really, really well. Yeah. And, and, and uh, yeah, it, it, yeah, because th- that's that's definitely a thing of um, I feel like within a lot of STEM field, it's that idea of, OK, cool, I solved the problem move it on to the next person in the assembly line where it's like everything that you did will regardless of how you see it impact another human being. But yeah. you, you just saw it as technically like a math question, like that math question will determine whether or not a dam will hold up another 10 years or so. Or if you design like an infrastructure thing, like will that actually divert, you know, flood water and not completely sw- uh wash away a you know a, a, an area or will it divert the rainflow from a affluent area to a lower income area oh it's fine i i protected the people that i wanted to protect type thing or like you know for an airplane or designing an airplane where it's like all right cool like this bolt is going to hold but it's like okay will it hold in technically a country that you know doesn't have as strict as air secure like air maintenance or aircraft maintenance and TSA and FAA and all that stuff. It's, it's, it's that thing of, you have to think of it more past just the, you know, problem in front of you. There's always the joke that, you know, everyone's like, Oh, all engineers are introverts and all this stuff where I'm just like, no, you know, there could be extra extrovert introverts or extrovert engineers. (laughs) Um, but, uh, the only difference is uh, introvert engineer looks at their shoes, extrovert engineer looks at the other person's shoes. Interesting. But it's like, and, but that's always, that's, but that's also the joke where it's like, no, like as an engineer, you still have to recognize that other people in the world exist, yeah. even though you don't like to talk to them. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. We are, uh, we are embedded in systems and everything we make in the world also is going to be embedded in a system will not will not exist yeah. in a vacuum unfortunately <laughs> well <laughs> um i have to go finish up a paper so that i can exit the real world and go back hopefully to grad school 
um, for a little more, there you go. a little longer. Um, but there you go. this was a, this was great. I I appreciate, and I think more people should be experts in saying I don't know. I think that is a very an admirable position to take is one of humility in in any situation i think and i would like to, and i would like to put the conditional that everything i said in here i do not fully agree with and do not hold it against me i think because <laughs> i don't know i may be talking on my ass the entire time nice nice all right well uh this has been great eric thanks for coming on the front porch podcast thanks for having me paul enjoyed it <laughs>